Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by all of my awesome co-hosts, plus a guest. Nate Heininger. Shane Kelly. And Laura Nash. And this week we are joined by a very exciting guest on the, sh- the show, um, Eli Hodat. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, super excited to be here. I, I love, uh, I've been doing the Touch Arcade show for... God, we're at like episode number like 404 or something like that now. So it's always exciting to be on like other people's podcasts where I don't have to do any work other than show up. I know, I know. That's the podcast dream. That's how we do it too. (laughs) (laughs) Sad but true. Uh, Yeah, so uh, Eli has been a fixture in the iOS games community for basically as long as that's been a thing. I've I've been reading, uh, reading your work on Touch Arcade. And we've been talking about Game Club on this podcast pretty much since, you know, in the margins of this podcast, ever since I uh, heard about it. And I'm very excited about it. Um, So I really was looking forward to getting Eli on the show to talk a little bit about Game Club and what it is and, you know, what it looks like from the inside and uh, just what it means for iOS gaming. Yeah, you guys picked it up really early. It was... um... Kind of surprising, like we were still uh, sort of trying to figure out like what the reception was going to be to the announcement, and, like all this stuff. And then it was like, oh, hey, we're uh, on a podcast. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you can blame me about that. I am. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I saw your announcement on Touch Arcade and um, I've been uh, super hyped for iOS gaming because that was when I was um, briefly working in game development and that corresponded with early iOS gaming. So I oh, played cool. everything trying to learn about the new medium. So when I found out this stuff was coming back, I uh, could not wait to talk about it. So I'm thrilled it exists. Yeah. And yeah. The, the problem of iOS games, important iOS games dropping off of the app store is one that we've talked about a zillion times because it just always seems to come up on our show. You know, the, there's all of these w- iOS and, and Apple platforms are really important to all of us. And it just comes up all the time. We, just last episode, we, uh, we were just talking about... Um, uh, the Apple Design Awards, and we cover those every year. And so we follow iOS games pretty closely. And Game Club is the first kind of breath of hope, I think, that I have seen <laughs> with with regards to the the problem of iOS games kind of disappearing. So I don't know. Before we do dig in too much into talking specifically about Game Club, I know, you know, we mentioned you've been with Touch Arcade for a long time, but like for for folks who may not be familiar with your work over at Touch Arcade or maybe haven't listened to the Touch Arcade podcast or read Touch Arcade, um, could you just tell us a little bit about what you've been up to up to joining Game Club? Yeah, sure. So uh, do you do you want the genesis of how I joined Touch Arcade because or just what I've yeah. been doing? Sure. Right, so I don't know that story. Um, well, it's kind of funny. Like, so I um in high school, I joined Mac Rumors in like, hmm. I don't know, like 2000 or something like that. And, you know, being a, a teenager that was really into causing trouble on the internet, like most teenagers on the internet, um, I decided I would post on the Mac Rumors forums as if I were a hardcore Windows user as like my <laughs> online persona, right? Which of course got me banned pretty quickly. I probably hated you around <laughs> that same time. And, um, so uh, that was the, in the days of AOL and some messenger, right? So right. I was able to look up like the guy who runs Mac rumors and like start pestering him on AOL's messenger, like complaining that I was banned. I can't believe that he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't want me to like, you know, talk about Microsoft and how great windows is on his forums, and all that stuff. So, uh, that's where I met Arnold Kim 
And then I had unrelated various like tech day jobs and stuff like that for a few years after that. And then um, Touch Arcade launched right around the time that the iPhone was just kind of like people were just starting to talk about third party software development on the iPhone. Like that was when the very earliest like jailbreaks were coming out. Remember like Apple released the iPhone and then had like that weird response where they were like, oh, just make web apps for it if you want like games or applications or anything, right? Mm -hmm. So these guys, yeah, an amazing solution. (laughs) Um, So these guys launched Touch Arcade and I knew like everyone from like way back when, when I was trolling the Mac Rumors forums and was, and became like super passionate about mobile devices just in general. Like I was always the idiot at work that had like the new pocket PC phone or like the new Palm Trio or like whatever. So when the iPhone came out, I was like, oh man, this is it. Like this thing is really cool and I want to do something involving this. Um, so Touch Arcade launched and I just started following it because, you know, the app store is kind of a jungle and you didn't really know what to get. And it was kind of cool that someone was trying to curate it, but it was kind of pretty transparent that the people running it like weren't really gamers. They were just kind of like trying to kind of sort of start a new website that separates mm-hmm. game coverage off of Mac rumors. So uh, I was able to pull up my old trolley contacts and be like, hey, remember <laughs> me, the the jerk from the, well, no, I didn't introduce myself like that. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I was just like, hey, I'm super passionate about this. Like I have a bunch of free time, like really enjoy writing about games. I really am super into mobile technology and like, I'll just do this for free. I mean, like, I don't care. Like, this is just like a fun outlet for me. And, you know, I have plenty of time and a job I didn't really like at the time and all this stuff. So um, that eventually surprised everyone with the, well, Touch Arcade, I guess we were all surprised by how the app store exploded because I thought this was just going to be kind of like a little hobby blog. They were doing a couple of people, you know, like everyone writing for free and stuff. And then the app store kind of turned into the app store that Mm. we know today. And it was like, whoa, hey, wait a minute. Like this is a business now with like people looking to spend money on advertising and like link share dollars coming in and stuff like that. So I was able to make the transition to full-time games writer guy, which was like, it was very hard to explain to my family what I was doing because I was working in like the medical tech industry before. And they're like, wait, so you left your job where you do all this cool stuff and you're just writing about phone games now (laughs) which um i don't know it panned out i guess but um yeah so eventually uh i just sort of took over touch arcade just being the most active person and you know the other guys stepped back and like let me do what i was good at and uh, i kind of ran touch arcade for uh almost exactly a decade um and uh you know through then i saw the rise and fall of basically every trend on the app store and travel over the world, speaking at different events and doing all sorts of unbelievable stuff that I never would have expected when I was trolling the Mac rumors forum. <laughs> that's right. So it's a, that's a really fascinating story. And I'm as equally impressed and also concerned by what is ultimately the message of trolling on an online forum led to a prolific <laughs> yeah. career in games journalism. <laughs> no, it was, it was kind of funny because like I did a, uh, I got invited to speak at my high school uh, a few years ago. Cause they were like reaching out to like alumni that was doing cool stuff. And like my name had popped up somewhere in some Google search or something that they recognized me. And yeah, it was like this talk where I went in and I was like, don't do what I did. Like, there's no way you can make this work. Like it's, it's the stars aligned. I can't explain it. Just work hard. And you know, good things will happen. Someone out there is like, if I troll enough forums, one yeah. of these will lead to well, a Well, I think the thing is go back in time and, and troll. troll yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, you've got, 
I think this very unique, very personal uh, position of like observing the entire arc of the app store. And for sure. I mean, I, I, so I think it makes a lot of sense for you to be involved with game club, but I guess game club, I, at least partly comes out of the idea that it's very, uh, we've been having this real issue with keeping great iOS games on the store. You know, there's, right. there's so many right. important iOS games that have kind of fallen off of the store for one reason or another. And I mean, there's some obvious reasons, but I wonder if you would just tell me why you think it's so much more of a challenge with iOS than it is with any other platform. You know, you see games delisted off of steam and things every now and then, but it's a huge news story. Whereas it's an epidemic on the app store. Um, I think it's there's there's a, a number of problems, but I think more than anything else, it has to do with iOS kind of uh, clunkily has been the same platform for a decade, like the mm-hmm. same software platform, right, across an unbelievable mm-hmm. amount of hardware. And so the expectations that people have on developers to support software that originally sold for very little money with no recurring revenue or anything like that over a decade worth of software and hardware advancements is just kind of unrealistic. I mean, it would be like, it would be like being mad that you can't play Midtown Madness on the original Xbox with Xbox Live anymore on like Project Scarlet they announced at E3, you know, because like we've seen that level of advancement in mobile technology and, you know, markets change with time and, when you originally sold your game for a buck, I mean, like if you went back and like, if you got in your time machine and talked to people that were, you know, on launch day with the app store and are like, Hey, so what's your plan for 10 years from now? When, you know, like there's a bunch of different screen sizes you need to support. There's been 13 iterations of iOS and all this stuff. Like you'd probably be like, what's iOS? Like for one, yeah. like, cause that wasn't even a thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an interesting kind of problem that I think, think just has sort of evolved out of a market that no one expected to be as successful or as long lasting as it actually has turned out to be, I guess. I mean, because like if you look at like, you know, so going back even before the iPhone, you know, you had like the BlackBerry and, and, and Palm OS and Pocket PC and stuff like that. And like those platforms all also had like their software problems and, you know, things not working and stuff. But like no one really cared because it was hard to get software on them and like the software wasn't that great and everything else. So it was, I think it threw everyone for a loop when the app store came out and stuff was good. Yeah. I know the, the only game that I played on my phone before the, uh, the app store was the sort of a dice rolling game that I really yeah. enjoyed at the time. Yeah. But like, it was like calculator games. Yeah. So yeah. There wasn't anything. Yeah. Really I think it's interesting. You brought up like Palm pilots like the, that for me, I had this sort of foundational experience in high school of, you know, getting a Palm Pilot and trying to figure out how to get games onto it. And the process to get like a couple of bad old arcade ports onto it was would today be laughable. Right, right. And the, the, the premium software scene in Palm OS was like you know, spending $20 for like a better calendaring program, you know, like not anything you mm-hmm. ever really care about using beyond the scope of its usefulness, which is probably just that individual device, right? Like yeah. when you bought up like that calendar app for your Palm Pilot, like you weren't expecting it to work in 10 years on like whatever 
I mean, you wouldn't care either if it did or not. Yeah. And things like consoles are, are you know, they're not a moving target like that. So, you know, yeah. there's 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 no uh, difficulty in, in continuing to support one of those because you've already pressed the disc. It just works right. after that. Right. Whereas something like an iPhone, you know, I, I've often kind of bemoaned that Apple doesn't offer some kind of compatibility mode or something for older software. But it's, you know, there's obvious reasons that that's, you know, yeah. never been like on their on their radar. They're not like a, a rearward looking bunch of folks. Right, exactly. Apple especially. Yeah. yeah. So where does kind of Game Club fit into that? Like, obviously, you guys are bringing back older iOS games in, in some interesting ways. But like, yeah. so tell me, well, for, I guess maybe start by telling me like how you got involved with these guys. Well, so um, I ran into them at, God, I don't even know, like a GDC or got introduced or something like that. Uh, from like mutual friends. I don't remember how I actually came into contact originally, but it was just like, Eli, these guys are doing something that you're going to be super into. You should just like get a meeting with them or do a phone call or whatever the original meeting was. Um, And they kind of threw me this idea of, hey, what if we could solve premium game monetization on the App Store? And what would that mean for software and gaming and and everything else like if you if, if developers had money to maintain things and you know create new things without necessarily worrying about monetization and everything else and i was like oh okay that sounds amazing like tell me more and that kind of sort of evolved into me being like well holy cow like i know so many people this would be perfect for that i can like just totally loop in and you know, people that have games that are dead because they can't afford to, you know, can't rationalize updating more than anything right. else. Right. Um, and if we're able to kind of like reboot the financial furnaces, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it on these games, like we'll have what amounts to like a, a renaissance of premium game development with people coming back to the platform that had just like given up on it. So the the dream that um, you know, the the game club founders were kind of pitching at the at the very earliest primordial stages of game club when I first kind of heard of it was just like, dude, this is amazing. This is this is solving a problem I've spent years complaining about. And like, let me know what I can do to help because I'm gonna throw my full weight behind, you know, whatever you guys need, because it's super cool. Which eventually turned into like, well, we just kind of need you full time doing this because we raised the money mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. So that's kind of kind of how I came on board. I, I guess I hadn't really considered how valuable your uh, long-term view of, of games and your connections to all these game developers from the history of iOS would be to this project. That's actually really interesting. Yeah, I mean, because it was, I was kind of like, you know, inadvertently became like the perfect person to kind of like get the band back together, I guess, because it was <laughs> like, yeah, it was like, you know, I, I put together... Um, I think I don't remember how long after our initial calls or meetings or whatever, like I put together like my dream list of like games I'd love to see back. And I was like, I looked at it and I was like, man, I know like all these people personally, like I can just like text half these people and like a quarter of them I have on Facebook and like the other quarter I have on Skype. Like this is not going to be a thing to like get people in on this. So <laughs> yeah, the outreach is easy. I'm curious how long that list was. Do you remember? Uh, it's probably around like a hundred games or so that we uh that, that I originally was like this is this is everything I would want and more. So, this is your dream list, yeah. Yeah, I dream list. And then we've kind of like added other stuff based on um community feedback and other things like that. And w- like what's been kind of amazing is that 
even someone like me that's been around mobile for so long, like there's so many mobile games that like I've forgotten so many too. Yeah. Like people will request games and I'm like, oh my God, I totally forgot about that one. Like, yes, that's amazing. I'm totally going after that. I mean, when we have conversations among ourselves about the games we are nostalgic for, I'm shocked that there's not more overlap uh, given we were all really active in the scene. I think there was just a time period where so much was getting released Mm -hmm. and so many premium games were coming out um, that when we're in a relatively fallow period now, since there's so much free to play, it just feels like you look back and you're like, man, I was oh, yeah. you know, feasting a while back. It's it's almost shocking. We just did our design awards um, and nothing against the winners. We're just thinking back against like how much breadth there used to be uh, compared to currently. It's just a lot. Um, there's still yeah. plenty of good stuff out there. It's just much harder to find. Um, and there's a lot of free to play stuff gumming up the works. Yeah, I remember like 2000, God, would have been like 2011, 2012 or so was like the heyday of Touch Arcade. Like I remember like so many good games were coming out that like we hit this tipping point where it was like we can't even post about all these good games anymore. You know, and it's kind of weird too to be like to have people request games. It's like, oh, I remember this. Like, let me look up the Touch Arcade review. And it's like, oh, one didn't exist because it came out at this time where. And like, I'll look up like what got released that week. And I was like, oh, there was 30 games that were amazing that came out that week. And we were a team of like five. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. wild. So, so you have this huge list of games um, and, you know, you have your various attachments and connections to each. How have you how did you choose and how have you prioritized which ones are actually worth sort of like your first go? Your, you know, the, your your breakout into the industry or the ones that are currently being used for beta testing? Um, I mean, I don't, it's, it's hard to kind of quantify that in any way. And that's kind of like a challenge that we're sort of facing internally is like, how do we put a value on these different games as far as like, what do we prioritize updating? Like, what do we prioritize getting and things like that? Cause Mm -hmm. honestly, it's just kind of in my gut driving it so far, which like, isn't, I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. It's probably not the best way to kind of build a content library, but maybe it is. I don't. I don't know. It's it's that's why like the early access stuff has been so informative of like being able to see like what actually resonates with people and things like that to kind of be like, oh, okay, I guess we need like more puzzle games and um, you know, like more role-playing games and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's gonna be an evolving thing over time. And like I don't really have the greatest answer right now. What I'm curious about is more sort of I mean, obviously this is a really interesting sort of business side of things, just how you're managing to uh, uh, trying to develop a business model to uh, be able to support and, and sort of resurrect these games, even in yeah. the face of the kind of apocalypse of, of free-to-play BS on the App Store. But I guess underlying that is just a, a technical challenge of like, how do you take all of these old games and bring them to modern devices even though obviously you're not going, uh, you're not going to be like hiring the original developers to come back and work on their projects full time yeah. or something. So like I mean, I'd imagine a lot of these games need a lot of TLC. So, like, mm-hmm. how is a team of just five people doing that? Like, what, what is it? What do you? What can you tell me about that approach? Uh, well, we're six now. We hired. We just hired one more ah. person. Uh, but uh, yeah. we have three engineers, and the best way I can describe them is just like just unbelievable, god tier, intelligent, like just software hackers of the likes that I've just never experienced before in my life. Like um, I actually, it's like, so they're based in Copenhagen, Denmark. 
Um, and I was actually able to hang out with them and like grab dinner and stuff. And I don't know, like it, it was, it was a, a weird experience because it's like, I'm sure you guys have felt this before in life where you're just like at a table and you're just like, Oh my God, everyone here is like three times as smart as I am. <laughs> and I just feel like a complete idiot, you know, like <laughs> that was, that was kind of like the realization. Like, we need the idiot because he has connections. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, it's really just like really good engineers that are willing to kind of like put in the time to figure this stuff out. And um, it's, we're kind of like building processes at scale too with updating these because like, so say you're an indie developer that released a game using like Adobe Air or something like that back in, you know, 2010 or 11 or whenever Adobe Air was the cool thing that people were using. Um, for you to figure out how to update Adobe Air to 64-bit is like an unbelievable, insurmountable task for one game, right? It's an unbelievable mm-hmm. amount of work. But where Game Club kind of comes in is we're able to like do one of those games that uses Adobe Air and like thoroughly document the process so that like next time we update an Adobe Air game, it's like, oh, okay, well, we start by doing these six things and that gets you most of the way there. Then you do these other two things and then... After there, it's just kind of like bug fixing and tweaking and stuff. Whereas figuring all that stuff out is super time consuming the first time you do it and Mm -hmm. not really worth it if you're not doing it to a bunch of stuff. So that's kind of the. Yeah. Or to something that, you know, is like going to sell again. Right. right? Like why, why do it? Yeah. If you don't know for sure there's a market. Right. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Like a lot of these games that, um, a lot of these guys that we're working with that made these games, like, you know, when I hit them up, they're like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I've just been paying the $99 a year Apple developer fee, like, just to keep this online. But I don't, I mm-hmm. like, don't make that money back. Like, I'm just spending $100 a year. So people don't like feel ripped off because they bought a game for me seven years ago. So, like, any hope of making more money than that is like a massive win for a lot of these guys. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I can definitely see the, you know, there is that weird promise um, that it didn't seem like such a devil's bargain the first year of sure I'll <laughs> keep it up for un- updates. Right. But as the plot, we no one expected the platform to still exist in some incarnation this long. We all assumed it would just kind of get you know two point and everything would kind of get wiped. Right. So uh, the expectations that updates would continue at infinitum. Um, you understand. You know, we've seen plenty of games come and go just not even just because the 64 bit thing but just device size has changed like mm-hmm. so many things has changed that um it's almost an impossible demand um i'm really excited to see a way that they can re-release the game without having to you know piss off the people who paid a dollar right. for it 10 yeah. years ago i mean like that's that's even a thing that like app developers are struggling with now like um I don't know if you guys follow uh, Sean. I think his last name is pronounced Heber, the the developer of um, Twitterific. Oh yeah, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Zaphod is his uh, Twitter name, but like he's been wrestling with that for a while because like Twitterific is old as dirt now, you know, and like yeah. people are still expecting free updates. Like they recently did some big update thing where they added like a, a maintenance subscription and all this stuff, and like people are just like flipping out on them. And it's just like, dude, you gave me three dollars in two thousand nine. Like, come on, this is. <laughs> you know, so it's not just games that are, are facing it, but, you know. Well, the entire, you know, economic 
understanding of the app store has been ruined from you know the beginning right yeah like people sure. would would be you know like oh, i'm not paying a dollar for that uh and then they walk over to the vending machine you know pay a dollar fifty for a coke yeah. and like ah that was worth my money but a dollar for an app or or whatever and i and i can you know we did rolando a couple uh episodes ago and i definitely remember being like ten dollars for a game on my phone <laughs> get out of here, you know, like hell no, never going to do that. Um, so we've always had this really skewed perception of, of the, the value of things on iPhone and, and whether it's worth our money. Um, yeah. It's, it's tricky because like, I, I never really know like who you can really like point the finger at for that sort of thing. Because like, I don't know, it was the apps, early app store was such a unique time with on such a, like with such a unique situation with like, uh, you know, accessibility for software distribution and, you know, developers had to come up with a way to stand out and they did that by like dropping the price. So of yeah. course, like that became the consumer expectation, yeah. but mm-hmm. I don't know, like <clears throat> every website that covered uh, apps at that time had a section uh, on which they listed paid apps gone free or mm-hmm. apps that yeah. have dropped significantly in price. And it those just, are big traffic. Yeah. Big part of the conversation. Uh, part of it is because the majority is free. Right. And you and you and like the economy of apps is like so throwaway. You download it, you try it, either it sticks or it's gone, right? right. And you're just right. like, I'm never going to think about that app again for the rest of my life. And so the concept of like gambling a dollar on whether this is going to be something that I actually like or not, or two or three or five or whatever, um, I think it just puts it in your mind like I'm only going to spend a dollar if I am certain that this will be <laughs> this will be a part of my life forever yeah i'm gonna will this app to my children <laughs> yeah exactly which is such flawed thinking i'm definitely not defending it but i, I think it's like it's been a a part uh of like ios and and mobile development in general that that i think has been unfair to developers since the beginning yeah no for sure one thing i wanted to ask you about was just like with the you talked a little bit about it but like what's the experience of going to these developers who have had their apps fall out of the store for one uh, you know one reason or another can you share any stories from from talking with them about about their apps or how they're feeling about game club now or all that um i mean the the response is pretty much all the same with one exception being like if I email someone about a game and they are already like 90% of the way finished updating themselves, then the response is like, oh, crap, like where were you six months ago? Because I've been working on this so much. But like the response to pretty much everyone is like, okay, wow, this is amazing because like, um, you know, all all these games had their own fan bases of, of, you know, varying levels of popularity. And like these guys still get, emails on the regular from people that are like, oh man, I really loved like, you know, game X, Y, and Z that you made. Like, I'd love it if you can bring them back. Like I played them when I was a teenager and like, I'd love to show them to my kids now or, you know, like, like very kind of like, um, almost like heart wrenching stories of like, oh, your game was so important to me when I was like 12 years old playing it on an iPod touch. And like, I would just love to revisit it again. And for a lot of these developers, it's just like, a hundred million percent like not worth their time to do that because yeah. like they've pivoted off to like a different job or contract work or or things like that so when i approach them with like hey like you know let me throw your game in game club and uh we'll do all the work to update it and um you know everything else they're like uh okay cool sounds <laughs> amazing like this is 
this is a perfect solution because I would love to have something to respond to these people that email me these crazy stories looking to play these games again. Um, so that's been pretty universal across the board. It's, it's just developers just happy to have their creations playable again. Can I uh, put a game on your list? Yeah, <laughs> please do. <laughs> I, I don't know if we're going to cover that as a as a section of this show, but the, uh, this whole time, uh, this this game that I used to play has been just circling my brain. Uh, it was called Forget Me Not. Uh, yeah, and it uh, was... that's actually already being updated. As uh... ah! it's a dream come true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, this is a beautiful moment. That was actually so. That's kind of a, a funny story I can share in that, like um, the, the early access community. Uh, so we've got um, people that are ultra hardcore game club fans, and uh, you know, so we we've got a Discord where they hang out and stuff. And I'm pretty open about like <laughs> you know what we're working on and like what we're trying to get and things like that. And um, you know, when people toss out games, I'm like, like, forget me, not's a good example. I was like, dude, I'd love to get that game. But like that guy, the developer has like fallen off the internet. I'm like, I don't know like really how to get in touch Where with them. Like, is, doesn't yeah. seem to use Twitter anymore. On Twitter, but yeah. Yeah. No, so he, like he changed his Twitter handle. Well, <laughs> so these guys like the the game club fans like tweeted at him and he was just like, oh, yeah, sure. Love to do that. Sounds great. And I just like <laughs> looped in with email and like I day later we were working on updating it basically it was like, <laughs> insane yes that's awesome so, I, I think what's really interesting about this is like it is sort of a, a good um synergy it's like where it's a, it's a good opportunity for them but like it's also like kind of a wild uh, opportunity for game club to recognize because like what other i don't know what other um where else in the world are you going to find this like pile of people who are like excited to hand over their IP to somebody else. Right. Like yeah. that doesn't exist it, elsewhere. Like, I mean, I think I think the reason why Game Club is working as well as it is too is because it's like me doing the outreach to these people. Like it would be a million percent different if it was like some, you know, sterile biz dev guy that was just like effectively like email cold calling people being like, hey, let me buy your game or, you know, whatever weird mm -hmm. deal you would come up with with them like that that just gets ignored you know like a lot of it would sound like of, spam <laughs> or yeah, somebody well, trying to like pull a scam of some kind a lot of indie developers like have stuff like straight on their website saying like don't email me about monetization or retention or like any other stuff like that uh because we're not interested you know so like when i hit these different developers up they're like oh hey like eli i yeah you did me a huge solid like posting about our game or doing that video or whatever else like i totally trust you and like yeah you're gonna take care of this like it's it's a a pretty crazy synergy of how that's all working out yeah I, and then once the ball gets rolling like you know they see all these other classic games from that era right and that's what's cool now is we're kind of like hitting what feels like this critical mass of like people being aware of what we're doing fans being really excited that it's not me like talking people into joining game club. It's like developers that are hitting me up and are like, Hey, I uh, heard about this thing you're doing. Would love to know more. Like, let me know when we can like hop on a call or something like that, which is like my, my big fear when I joined game club was I was like, man, I'm going to like lose the platform. That's touch arcade. Like, I really hope that I'm still able to like maintain contact with people and all this stuff. So it was a big mm -hmm. worry of mine that, I was just going to like turn into the weird business guy that was badgering people and to have 
people like come to me being like, Hey, what you're doing is so cool. Like, I'd love to be a part of it. Like, what can I do to help is really awesome. Like that, that really makes me feel like we're striking a chord with like all the right people. On That's the- awesome. So I, I want to get into talking about some of the games that you guys have, uh, sure. has picked up. I guess w- one last thing that I want to, before we move off of talking about sort of game club in generalities is like, you guys have been a little bit, uh, a little bit quiet about like what your ultimate plans are in terms of how this is getting rolled out, and you know, I don't know what the business model is, and so on. And I know some of that stuff is probably still being worked out, or isn't it ready yeah. to be shared? But tell me a little He's bit. Been about, waiting like, to announce it all right yeah. here on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got the scoop. I mean, more we along the lines it. of what can you tell me about like what are next steps for Game Club? Where is this going? Like, what what does the future look like for all of this? Um, so right now, like, well, so we announced that the way the game club is going to work is, is it's going to be, uh, a subscription that you subscribe through, um, iTunes and stuff like that. And that's kind of the way that all these games are going to like keep getting recurring revenue and, and ongoing support and things like that. Um, we are right now testing that sort of stuff in, um, test markets to try to like figure out the best user flow to kind of like provide the best experience of like, cause it's kind of a tricky thing, right? Because um, s- offering a bundle of games, a subscription is like something that people don't really know about on the app store. It's a really new mm-hmm. concept for a lot of mobile consumers. Whereas like the way that most people treat mobile games is, you know, like much like you guys were saying before and that like they're highly disposable experiences. I mean, like if you look at how, um, games are advertised on like Facebook or Instagram or whatever. It's just like, I, I, like just typically absurd advertisement where it's like, oh, if you if you make it to this level, you're officially a a master or something like that. You know, like very kind of like mental junk food sort of stuff. And our our one of the challenges that we're working through is like, how do we kind of like short circuit that and kind of teach people like, hey, you know, it doesn't need to be this kind of like junky uh, ad packed free to play stuff. Like you could play real deal games on your iPhone because like we're all old school enough to realize that like this stuff used to be normal. Right. But to Mm -hmm. a lot of the people that are discovering game club, it's like, Oh my God, like you mean I can play a game. That's just like a good game without any like freemium shenanigans or anything like that. That sounds amazing. You know? So it's like, that's kind of like one of our, our big challenges that we're working through is like how to, kind of come up with a user flow that kind of like is still fun and like doesn't make the games feel gross, but still educates people on like what game club is and like why it's cool and why they should subscribe and stuff like that, which is kind of a tricky challenge, but you know, we got smart people working on it. So, um, you know, it'll work out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, so let's talk about some of the specific games that you guys have either announced or already released through your, um, sure. through your, uh, your, what, what do you call it? Your your beta program or, or yeah, we called it early access just because of like Steam early access seemed like it was the thing mm-hmm. that people knew about. But yeah, the beta program early access, like whatever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and All and oh, we should probably start by saying like if if folks listening aren't aware, like you can try some of these games now if you are interested by yeah going through the the early access program. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Yeah. So if you go to gameclub.io, you just like dump your email in to sign up. That tosses you over to a page where you can download, uh, as of this recording, 15 different games uh, via TestFlight. So if you've never used TestFlight before, it's super duper easy. You just download TestFlight from the App Store, which is Apple's thing that facilitates um, iOS beta testing. 
And then from there, you just you know go back to the the beta site, which you'll get um, a, a link in your email, and you can just go nuts playing all these games. Yeah. And really, all we ask from people is just like if you come across any bugs or have any thoughts or anything like that, just like let us know how we can improve these games or like you know because one one sort of challenging thing with releasing anything on iOS now is that uh, Apple restricts your ability to downgrade your operating system on your phone for security reasons. Um, so it's real tricky for us to like, say for instance, like test these games on like iOS 11.5 or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's been very useful to have just a bunch of people playing these games just on like different weird devices and operating systems that we don't have immediate access to, to kind of discover that like, oh, this is super broken on iOS 12.0 or, you know, whatever else. So um, it's, it's it's funny to talk about like going back because so a lot of us all used to work at the Apple retail stores and like the <laughs> and like one of the number one like requests and like frustrations people would come and be like I just want to go back because every time there'd be like a big iOS change people would freak out and hate the new stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. and I've always thought of it uh, or at least until recently I'd always thought of it as just like purely like not of uh, like a really worthwhile complaint. You know, because it's like, eh, you know, things change. You just get used to it. But from like a developer standpoint, there's such a value in being able to go back even for testing. So um, it's just funny to hear that same like problem rephrased in such a logical and and reasonable way rather than <laughs> someone like storming into a store and being like, I just I don't like the new colors, you know, and like yelling. at Yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's a serious issue, um, particularly because like, you know, Apple's always boasts how many people are running their newest operating system. But with the amount of devices in the wild, like even 10% of people on the old version of iOS is still millions and millions and millions of people. You know, so. I used to pay for access to a device lab that was mostly just old iPhones because otherwise I couldn't, I, I couldn't have access to see websites <laughs> That's on those cool. things, like let alone apps. Um, but I think you basically were paying like, but $50 a year so I could walk into a room with like 30 old, old iPhones in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. I happen to have uh, my my kid's college fund downstairs, which is an old iPhone that still has uh, Flappy Bird on it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you, go. <laughs> you spoke about how easy it is to get going with Game Club, and I agree completely. It took me like three minutes to go to your site Mm -hmm. download test flight i'd never done any of that i've not interacted with test flight before and within you know minutes basically i had downloaded like every game that you had available and filled up my phone uh, yeah. so it's <laughs> definitely definitely uh, a very very easy experience to, like dive in and start interacting with your stuff yeah and cool. let's That's... talk about some of those games i think to, 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 to sort of pick a game to start with um the game that made me realize oh these guys are serious was <laughs> that you had hook champ yeah. yeah. Well, that was our first our first announcement. Like I was like, because we were we were sort of stressing out as far as like which game we were going to kind of like reveal as the first one, because like I feel like that really sets the scene as far as like what people are going to expect of the rest of them. And I was like, there's nothing more OG classic on the App Store that's been gone for years in Hook Champ. Like it's really hard to think of a better yeah. kind of like plant your flag. This is Game Club. This is what we're doing. 
than Hookchamp, right? So for people who mm-hmm. missed out on Hookchamp, which I mean, you can be forgiven if you haven't had an iPhone since I don't know when that dropped off the store, but it's been a long damn time. Yeah, like it came out in two thousand nine. Yeah, so tell us about Hookchamp. <laughs> or actually, I don't know. Maybe Nate wants to. Nate, Nate was so damn excited yeah, about Hookchamp. I just shouted. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny. I you, you know you're talking about like your top list of games that you would bring back, and I you know I was thinking about my own, and and uh, like Hookchamp was for sure number one. And that was for sure what, like the moment I heard about Game Club and, and how to get involved, I was like, well, hell yeah, I want to go and play Hook Champ again. Uh, and and I, I don't know exactly when I first played it. I didn't have an iOS device right out of the first launch, but it was the first game that I played on my iPod Touch, uh, I think was sometime around 2010, where I was like, oh, this, like, this, is, like, this is a good game, and this is a yeah. game worth playing, right? Uh, and, and ever... I've I've always thought like for a long time I've had this feeling that in video games one of my favorite mechanics is like a swinging mechanic. You know we've covered a bunch of games that do that like uh, Ori or even like the new Spider Man. And it, it dawned on me when I was playing it, I, I have completed it again uh, through via Game Club, which is fantastic. And it dawned on me that Hook Champ might be the reason I've always had this like affinity for like a good solid swinging mechanic in a game. Mm, yeah. It also showed that, um, you know, controls are always just so clunky or it feel it's very easy for anything. that's like an action game uh, on a phone to feel clunky. There's usually going to be some like clunky D pad on the screen or for whatever, sure. but this was the first game and still one of the best if, to give that sense of like an action game that, had controls that made sense and were easy on an iPhone, which is again, mostly just tapping. Right. (laughs) So, um, it's, I mean, if we're talking about what the game it is, is it's just a left to right scroller where instead of running your shoot, you know, you are, um, throwing your grappling hook and either hitting the screen or, or the ceiling or whatever you can and swinging left to right, collecting coins, avoiding bad guys. It's fantastic. Um, I, I think Hook Champ feels like a particularly special game because this was released right around the time where before, like there's this era in the app store that like, I don't know, kind of feels like uh, like a, a BC slash AD sort of like switch over in time, right? Where it was like yeah. uh, games were very, very basic sort of like tilt your phone or like tap the screen or because developers like didn't really know what to make of the lack of like physical buttons and D-pad on the on the iPhone, right? And Hookchamp was among the crop of the very first games that was like, hey, we can actually make a really kick-ass game on this. Like, we don't need a D-pad and all this stuff. So, it's it's just from an era that that just feels really special. Yeah, that game rules. And um, if folks aren't aware, it and its sequel are on. Game yeah, Club. I was really excited when it came out uh, for a very selfish reason, and that was that. Uh, I knew that we were up to do a flash game for Toy Story 3. And I thought it would be fun to have Woody swing the uh, cord in the back over like a lasso so he could swing on his cord. But I was looking at all these old Nintendo games for swings. Like I was having a really hard time uh, explaining the way I wanted the mechanic to work to my boss. And uh, Hook Champ came out in October. I think the pitch was due at the end of the month. And I just remember walking in and being like, look, swings are fun. What do you should swing? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm sorry I can't play your uh, your your Flash uh, Toy Story game. That actually sounds like it'd be kind of neat. Yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, the, 
the crazy thing about the Flash game world right now is that they're they're kind of like going through the exact same thing that mobile's experiencing right now. Yeah. Like, like people kind of think that that mobile's a unique situation, but really like there's so many parallels that I'm beginning to discover with like Flash development talking to like cuz that's been kind of a weird thing when uh the game club message sort of spread out enough that I just have had like random discussions with Flash developers being like, "Hey, do you know anyone doing this for Flash because like I made all these games that were super popular, but like Flash is not existing anymore. And yeah, you know, so that's it's kind of if cool. you're out there and you have some weird way to revive Flash from the dead. It <laughs> <laughs> just sounds like <laughs> uh, the next wave of Game Club. Once you've yeah, once you've finished iOS, lucrative. I, uh, <laughs> you've done them all. I pitched it to the engineers as like, hey, you know, like this is happening in Flash and we could probably scoop up a bunch of really cool stuff that people would recognize. And they were just like, no, not just <laughs> I'll talk about this right now. <laughs> That's all right. That'll be project number two someday. In the yeah. yeah, they're like one future. backbreaking challenge at a time, please. Yeah. Yeah. So there's uh, obviously there's a bunch of games on your list of games that are, are you know, being that are, that you currently have on your on your early access program. And the Hook Champ games are. Uh, pretty awesome. I know, Laura, you were excited to talk about Space Miner, which I had never played, but I've been I've been getting into it now. Oh man, this game's so good! I adore my hillbilly asteroids so much. <laughs> Space Miner is a charming game. It's got polish. Uh, I don't tend to play a ton of shooter games, but this one really caught my heart. I think it's got a real good mix of bite-sized levels, action, challenge. You can level up your uh, spaceship to an absurd amount and just decimate the place. But I, I think that um, really it's got a nice blend of uh, a lot of heart and a lot of nonsense, which I was sorely missing because a lot of shooting games take themselves very seriously. So Space Miner, um, I played to death. I've already, um, I'm in the bonus levels already in the, uh, test flight version despite moving um but i think space miner is one of my favorites uh i kind of knew it was gonna come only because um i, I think you mentioned it early on as if you had heard everyone begging you for bringing space miner it was mentioned in an earlier article like and yes space miners on the list <laughs> please stop asking me. <laughs> um probably like you're sick of people asking for dungeon raid in the discord um sorry about that yeah, no, Dungeon Raid is high on my list. I'm working on it. Don't I know, worry. I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, Space Finder is a, a super duper favorite of mine. I think it was Touch Arcade Game of the Year in 2010 or 11 or whenever it came out. Mm-hmm. Like just super, super good game. I, I always really like games that kind of take a well-known sort of like gameplay formula and just like riff on it like crazy. And like Space Finder really is just kind of asteroids turned up to 11 which is yeah. super cool and really awesome to see like what you can do. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a game that I missed, you know, back in its day and I I'm having so much fun going back and checking it out for the first time. Like I I I totally recommend this. like I think if folks are are jumping into um into the game club uh, list of games that are on early access right now, um yeah, try Hook Hook Champ. Hook Champ is awesome, but like I think Space Miner maybe holds up even better because it's it's just, it's just, it is a little deeper. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's probably, it's probably saying a lot, but like, I it's, it's it a is. deeper game than, yeah, it's a deeper game it's than more mechanics. Mechanics. Yeah. And For sure. it, it is very funny. And 
I think the art still looks good even on modern devices. And yeah, it's aged really well, surprisingly. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, I had never, uh, I'd never played it before either. And um, at the uh, after hearing about so uh, about after hearing how good it was from Laura, uh, I also downloaded it, and it's been outside of Hook Champ, it's been the one that I've played the most of from Game Club so far. I think oddly, oh, the great. one that I've played the most of is probably Chopper Two. Um, and really? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm actually not a hundred percent sure that I played Chopper Two on the iPhone. I think I might have played Chopper One. I, well, Chopper One was like unbelievably popular. Yeah. Like, like that was like the first. Well, I don't know about the first, but like I remember it being like the like first flying shooting action game on the App Store. It like looked really cool and played really cool. Yeah. And then like Chopper 2, when it came out, it was one of the first kind of like 2.5D games mm-hmm. because uh, Dave Frampton, that is the original developer of that, was just like this crazy like low level C++ wizard that got 3D working on you know the iPhone when it was like still a rare thing. So Chopper 2, I, I feel like it hasn't aged quite as well as some of the other games, but it's like such a historical sort of point in like when graphics were starting to get really cool that it's, I don't know, it's awesome. I can see why somebody might think it doesn't hold up particularly well, but for me, it really rings a bell because I, I mean, I played a lot of um, Chop Lifter on the original Macintosh. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it's basically that, right? And mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's a formula that just has always worked for me. And um, I mean, you know, I'm sure there are a dozen clones of this style of gameplay that you can go and or download right now, but yeah. but this one is a good one. And uh, being able to, to just try it out as part of the the early access program. I mean, I found myself just suddenly playing a lot of it on my phone. So yeah, so that's yeah. awesome. Um, Shane, I, I think you said you were pretty into s- sort of Fargle. Yeah, well, I wouldn't know. I say I'm pretty into it because it takes a lot of effort to get like into mm-hmm. sort of Fargle. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely the only one on this list that I've, that I've put a, a good amount of time into. And if you like roguelike type games, it was one that is I thought I'd played really well on iOS. Uh, when I played it back in the day, I didn't realize that it had like this history of being like a Commodore 64 game. Oh, yeah. It's old as dirt. <laughs> yeah. Old as dirt. Apparently, uh, it's older I than I am. That. It was released in 1982 originally. So older than me. Holy <laughs> shit. And, but yeah, no, it, it actually played really well on uh, on iOS. I remember it. So it has these like swipe controls that just like you can like, you know, just sort of swipe and hold and, and cruise in a direction and swipe into an enemy and just like fight with them. And uh, so that aspect of it, like, you know, that it controlled really well on on a. Uh, uh, you know, in a genre that was rife with like D pads or, mm-hmm. or like very specific tap controls where you had to like tap each time you wanted to move your character. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. And I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for a dungeon crawler. Yeah. What's really cool about Sword of Fargo is that um, so it's still is it, it, the, the mobile port was still made with the help of Jeff McCord, who is the original creator of Sword of Fargo back in the day. And like, wow. That dude is so passionate about this game. It is unbelievable. Like he's the kind of guy that like will just talk your ear off for hours and hours and hours with like the most fascinating stories of like Amiga development and stuff like that. Cause he's just like as old school as it gets with this sort of stuff. And I think the, so the, the mobile version is kind of like a, a modern port of like the old game with like modern lighting effects and stuff like that. So I think that that, 
is a really good way to jump into roguelikes just in general if you've never played one. And what's cool about it is it has kind of like a, I think the easy mode is called squire mode or something like that, where it makes it really kind of difficult to die, Mm. um, which is a cool way to kind of like dip your feet into the roguelike genre too, which is historically kind of like pretty punishing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what's particularly interesting about this game, I think, is that like, if anything, the roguelike genre is way more popular today than Mm -hmm. when the uh, or at least more mainstream than when sort of Fargoal would have originally come out on the iPhone. Um, Yeah. So like it's it's cool to see that return because like, I mean, there are other roguelike games on the iPhone, but like that is a that is a genre that I think people are still very hungry for. Well, right. Like, remember when this, uh, I remember when this first came out, I needed to kind of like get an explainer as to like what a roguelike is and like, like why people would enjoy something like this. Because like, you know, I downloaded Sword of Fargo when it first came out and just like, I was like, okay, this dungeon changes every time and I just die. Like, how is, how is this fun to anyone? And then I kind of like understood like what was happening and like what you actually do and how you need to really be careful and strategic about your movements and everything else and came to really appreciate it. But you're right. Like now the kind of like super difficult randomized gameplay slash dungeon thing is just kind of normal. I mean, like we saw Cadence of Hyrule get released last week, which is like an official Nintendo made Zelda branded randomly generated roguelike thing, which is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I also, I think like anytime you explain to someone what a roguelike is and they've never played it, like the first response is always, and why is this fun? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like people don't have to ask that anymore because those rogue, the elements yeah. of the roguelike genre have found their way into everything now. Like they, yeah. you know, you, you, huge, uh, huge games are stealing bits and pieces from the true old school roguelike genre. And you just find those mechanics everywhere. Well, I remember, uh, do you guys yeah. remember when Spelunky was first released oh, and like the yeah. reception of yeah. that was like, oh my God, this is new game. And like every time you play it, the levels are random and it's so punishing when you die, your game is just over. And it's like, uh, yeah, dude, that's called a roguelike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think procedurally generated has like detached entirely from roguelikes at this point, but it, you know, that is definitely the root, right? Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Eli, do you have any particular games that you want to call out either ones that are part of the current crop that people can go and download right now, or ones that you're excited about that are coming along soon? Uh, well, so what's coming very soon is uh, Legendary Wars, which is one of three games in the Legendary Wars trilogy. Um, so Legendary Wars is kind of like this lane-based um, kind of like battling game. It's extremely difficult to describe it. Like It's one of those things like when you play it and like you see it in motion, you're like, oh, okay, that makes total sense. Uh, so Legendary Wars came out and it did pretty well. And what I always really liked about this series of games is that the sequels, instead of just kind of like improving on the game, like also advance time in the game world. So legendary wars is, is kind of like super old medieval battling. And then, um, monster wars is the next game, which, which sort of shifts time around. And then the, the last one is stellar wars, which takes place in like this, like futuristic space. So I don't know. I always, I always really like, um, like so the the movie series like How to Train Your Dragon also sort of does that where it's like mm-hmm. you know the the movies advance in time significantly which I think is really cool and so those are something to look forward to uh, you know we have uh, Hook Hook Champ Super Quick Hook which of course means we're also eventually going to release Hook Worlds 
I think that's mm-hmm. gonna come out on early access next month. That's exciting. That's I played um, both of the. Uh, I played Hook Champ and Super uh, Super Quick Hook, but I'm pretty sure I haven't played Hook World. So I'm excited to get some new stuff. Hook Worlds is really good. And then yeah, I don't. I mean, we we were full of, full of surprises. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much I should really give away of our release cycle because so much sure. of it is in flux. But um, needless to say, like we're actively chasing after like the best games of the past that just got neglected or fell off the app store or whatever else and bringing them back to life. And I think of, you know, of what we have, there's going to be a lot of stuff that people are going to be really, really excited to see again on their iPhones. I mean, I'm already just like hyped that you said that forget me not is coming back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Shane has just been vibrating since he said that. I know I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but I uh, I, I tweeted at the developers of the iBlast Moki games. And oh, that's that's coming they, too. Yes, they they seemed they seemed <laughs> receptive, and I was very excited about that. Those iBlast Moki yeah. games were like absolutely my jam when the iPad was brand new. Like I think, oh man, those were some good puzzle games. So yeah, those are outstanding. Those those are coming soon. Uh, I'm not sure where those are in our pipeline right now, but they're that's that's a game we're working on. Yeah, the, it, it's it's so funny. Like there are just these games where like. You know, maybe I haven't played it in a while, but I think, oh yeah, I, that was a game I w- I loved, and and I've downloaded, I've got a new iPad. What should I play on it? And I went and looked for that, and it was gone from the App Store, and it was I was yep. heartbroken and huge so bummer, huge bummer when that happens to you. And so it's so exciting to to hear these things coming back. Yeah. So here at the end of the show, uh, we have a segment we like to call "What's Making You Happy This Week," and uh, Eli can probably guess what that is all about. <laughs> so. Do you want to go first? Do you have anything that's making you happy this week that you want to shout out? Yeah, sure. So I um, I recently, well, not recently, I guess like earlier this year, got turned on to this podcast called Doughboys, which is a couple of like comedy writers that review fast food restaurants as as their thing. And I was like, all right, this this is this is pretty amazing because it's like, I don't know, it's, it's it's like listening to two people that seem like they're just like best friends, but still kind of hate each other and just like give each other loads of shit while they're reviewing fast food chains, which I don't know, it's a crazy premise, but it works really well. And like, I've since discovered that this podcast is like one of many podcasts in this like weird spin-off universe of what originally started as like a comedy sketch group or something like that. So it's made me really happy this week is, well, I guess like the last couple of weeks is sort of discovering that like this brand of humor is not just limited to this one podcast that I'm totally caught up on, but is actually this entire like ecosystem of other podcasts and other weirdos on Twitter and stuff like that, that all share the same kind of like really zany sense of humor. So that's what's that, that discovery has been what's, what's making me happy, but definitely check out the Doughboys podcast. It's, it's really good. I've been to three live recordings now. Wow. Which is pretty uh, kind of officially makes me a podcast roadie for them. Yeah. You're the, you're a super fan. That's uh, I will have a link in the show notes and I'm very much looking forward to checking that out because it's always nice to have a a comedy podcast with a back catalog that you haven't gone back and listened to yet crop up. Yeah. It's always kind of tricky though, to get, to get people started on uh, a comedy podcast because like so much of it is like getting like the references and inside jokes Mm -hmm. and stuff. And I'm always concerned when you recommend Doughboys to people, you listen to it be like, I don't know, these guys are just kind of like mean to each other. Then they review a fast food place. <laughs> yeah, I think I listen to like four other HeadGum podcasts, so I should probably add Doughboys if I'm already in. <laughs> like, I've already listened to Punch Off the Jam and Overdue and all kinds of stuff. Up. Would you start at the beginning or do you have a place you'd recommend? Yeah, perfect. I, I would just jump in and like, 
I don't know, just stick with it for a few weeks and kind of like get to know the hosts. And I promise you'll really like it. But if you're not into comedy podcasts, I have a alternate recommendation that also makes me very happy, which is called the film reroll. Have you guys heard of this? I have. Yes. I'm a big RPG lover. Oh, my God. So like uh, I it's always hard for me to kind of get into a Dungeons and Dragons game as an adult because it's like everyone that I would play with like has kids or is married or has a job and like getting six people together around a table like as you mm, know hosting impossible. a podcast with multiple people is super challenging right so I've kind of like gotten my Dungeons and Dragons fixed by like listening to different Dungeons and Dragons podcasts I guess but the problem with some of the more well like most of the more popular ones is that like they do these campaigns that span like hundreds of hours of of podcast time, right? And it's just like, man, I don't really like this is just too much. You know, it's like when someone recommends a TV show and it's got like 13 seasons. Mm, you know, um, Game of Thrones season seven is the really good yeah. one. You should just start at the beginning and it'll only take you three years. Lies. Yeah, just commit a hundred hours to this thing of media. You have the time for that. Whereas like film reroll, like the the way they do is they treat movies as campaigns. So it's like everything's a very like bite sized like maybe like one to three episode thing that you can just kind of like scroll through the feed and be like, oh, Aladdin. I, I like the movie Aladdin. Like, let me see like what crazy stuff happens when they try to like turn Aladdin into a GURPS role playing game. Oh, that rules. Which like and it's amazing because like, you know, you never really think of like how many things happen in movies are like complete chance and stuff. And like what would happen if like a very important part of a movie, like the main character, like critically failed because like that <laughs> happens all the time on their podcast. So that's my secondary, secondary recommendation. That yes. rules. I will have links to both of those. In it's the show so notes. good. Film reel is so good. It's, it's silly. Well, since you brought up something, uh, RPG related, I will, uh, I will share mine, which is also RPG related. Um, and this is just a little tiny web app that um, I have kind of fallen in love with and wind up spending way more time with than it really uh, warrants in my actual life. Uh, there's a, It's on itch.io. Uh, it's called uh, Watabu's Fantasy, Medieval Fantasy City Generator. This is just a tiny web app that uh, creates city maps for small medieval fantasy towns according to your specific your according to any of your various specific needs uh and you can set it's been under like very active develop mysteriously active development for about the last couple of years and i've watched it for a while and and i it's just at a point where i'm like this thing I can't oh, wow. believe it's still free. This is uh, cool, and it works on your phone. I just pulled it up. Like, oh wow! Yes, it, that's actually another something worth calling out about it. Is it's it works surprisingly well on a mobile device. Uh, you can uh, you can customize the size of your city and all, all these various different attributes of it, including things like is there a castle or a plaza? Does it have a temple? Does it have city walls? Does it have shanty towns? Is it along a coast or a river? Uh, and there's a lot of visual customizations you can do as well. They, they've um, it, it has become something that is just an incredibly fun toy to play with. And then, as someone who runs D and D games and occasionally has to like you know make a, up a town, uh, and you know would enjoy the ability to you know I really like the ability to like customize and then print it off. You can even if you want to create some very custom terrain uh, warp 
the mesh on which the town is drawn in a really satisfying and fun way so oh, that wow. you can kind of squash and stretch the various districts and, and, and areas of your town. This is fun just to fiddle with, like even if you're it's not doing so anything. Fun. Yeah. Uh, the, the reason I want to bring it up now is that they've added this feature that like to me makes it, I feel like this thing finally should hit 1.0, uh, which is the ability to um, label and name all the districts in the town uh, mm-hmm. and do the classic RPG map thing where it puts little numbered circles onto the map. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I would encourage anybody to go to watabu.itch.io and just tinker with this thing. Uh, even if you're not into RPGs, it's just fun. For those of you who can't spell Watabu, I will have a link to that in the show notes. That sounds, I, I've played around with that just a little bit and it does rule, but I think actually for me as a totally, Shane's Shane's the biggest DM of the group here, but I have DM'd a little bit. I think for me, probably the most valuable thing is just a thing that asks you questions about the fantasy town that you're creating. Like, does it have a temple? Like, that's a question that I should ask myself if I'm <laughs> coming up with a fantasy town. And uh, I mean, awesome to have a tool that helps you then create an actual map you can you can use in your game. So the thing that's making me happy this week is uh, not RPG related. Um, it's more of just a little video game. Hard transition. Thing. Yes. Uh, you, you know, I, I'm a big I mean, you could use it to play certain types of RPGs, I suppose. Uh, so there's that stretch. Um, I It's a video game controller thing. So um, I, I um, I'm a big I want to recommend the 8-bit dough or 8-bit do. I'm not sure how they actually pronounce there. I think it's dough. Anyway. The 8-Bit mod kits for old-school controllers. So if you're not familiar with 8-Bit they are a company that makes retro-styled controllers for uh, for modern systems. So you can get a controller that's shaped like an uh, you know, a SNES pad, for example, that you can use with your Switch, that kind of thing. But they also make these mod kits that you can install into actual older controllers or, in most cases, the sort of quote-unquote classic controller uh, equivalent of those older controllers. And I've now got, uh, I've got like three of these things and I just got one this week um, that I'm particularly happy with. And so I wanted to call them out because I think they're really neat. So if you're a Switch player in particular, um, I think these things are great. Uh, they make uh, these kits where you just take a controller. You ha- They have options for the NES, the SNES, and the PlayStation and six-button Genesis controllers. And you unscrew them and you take out the existing board that goes inside that and you take out the wire and you replace it with the PCB that they provide you that includes a battery and a Bluetooth chip. And then you screw it all back together and then you have a controller that is 100% feels like the real thing. It's got all the original plastic and rubber of your original controller from the PlayStation, the uh, you know SNES, etc. Um, but modern Bluetooth internals that work with... Um, Windows as an X input device, like a Xbox controller. They work with Mac, and in when you connect them to your Mac, they emulate a DualShock 4 and work well with pretty much anything that you want to connect them with. They work great on Android, where they work as a uh, direct input device. Uh, I don't have so much use for that, but they also work on the Nintendo Switch, where they pretend to be a pro controller. Wow. And uh, you can pair them wirelessly and use them with pretty much any game. And uh, I'm, I'm happiest so far with the one for the PlayStation. I had the PlayStation Classic, which is sitting collecting dust on my shelf because that thing wasn't particularly great. But they made a, uh, a mod <laughs> kit for the controllers that come with that. Um, pro tip there, if you don't want the PlayStation Classic, and you probably don't, it's not that great, you can actually pick up the controllers that were intended for the PlayStation Classic for $9.99 at Target. And then you can get this $20 board to fit into them from 8 
uh, and you get a $30 really nice classic PlayStation controller, the, the non-DualShock one, the D-pad only one without the analog sticks um, that you can use with your Switch. And you might say, why would I want that when I have a, a, you know, a, a Switch controller? Well, the- uh, Why would I want that, Reagan? Yes. Reagan, why would, why would I want that? Well, the D-pad on this thing is, is great. I mean, it, I've been playing Cadence of Hyrule this week and we really, really want an accurate D-pad for something like that. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but the D-pad on the original PlayStation controller is one of my favorites ever, the segmented D-pad, but it still has the rocking thing, not like the not like the D-pad on the, or quote-unquote D-pad on the Switch controllers, where the, the you know, joy cons, where it's actually separate buttons, like the, you know, it, they're separated, so it's easy to tell which way you're pressing, but they do have the pivot, you know, they have the sort of rocking motion that you get with an actual D-pad. Anyway, really, really great really responsive. The lag is extremely minimal. I highly recommend these things and they're very easy to install it. You know, they quote unquote a mod, but it's like the easiest mod you'll ever do. They send you the screwdriver in the box. You literally don't need to have your own tools. There's no soldering. It's just unscrew one thing, put another thing in its place. So that's what's uh, making me happy this week. I highly recommend the 8-bit dough controller mod kits. I'm crossing my fingers that we'll be able to use them on uh, on uh, iOS here in the future because they do update yeah, that'd them be nice. with uh, with new firmware and now that now that Apple is starting to allow more controller you options know, there. If you want to fix the D-pad on your Switch, um, you can buy replacement plastic housings for mm -hmm. the actual Joy-Cons. Um, <clears throat> I got this done a while ago on mine. I actually just bought a pair that someone already modded on eBay for like $20 more than the cost of Joy-Cons and it like has an actual real deal D-pad on it. And like everyone that sees it is like, oh my God, where did you get that? Like I didn't even know it because the D-pad's terrible on the Switch, right? So. Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. It seems like a kind of a tricky mod though because there's a lot of little tiny parts in those Joy-Cons. Yeah, that's why I had someone else do it because I was like, eh, I don't want to mess this up. I'll just pay the premium mm -hmm. and have some eBay guy do it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, as as compared to like, you know, other handhelds or something, at least it's just a detachable Joy-Con. Like if you fuck it yeah. up, you go buy another one, which is one of the great <laughs> things about right. the Switch. So I love those. That's, that's really cool. Um, Laura, what's making you happy this week? So I am on a road trip uh, waiting for my stuff to uh, move to New York, which I don't think I've actually said that I'm moving to New York, but I am. Um, so I went to Columbus this weekend to visit my friend Tim. And uh, Columbus had two things going on, the Pride Parade and the Origins Board Game Festival. And Ooh. they've actually coordinated this so they happen on the same weekend. Um, it's very cool. Um, but uh, I will say it's a bit of a weird thing to go from outside. It's like every color of the rainbow inside. There's a lot of backpacks and beige. I love my people on both sides. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will say that I loved a lot of the games I played, but I want to give a shout out to Letter Jam. It's by the studio that put out Codenames, and it's a cooperative word game, um, which is a little bit like Hanabi, the fireworks game that I've, I've talked about in the past in that um, everybody gets a word chosen for them um, by someone else. You pick out the letters, spell it out, hand it to them, and then um, they put up the first letter in their word, and you can see everybody else's letter but not yours. Um, and then you kind of have to try to anagram. It's kind of Hanabi plus Scrabble. Uh, you look around, you say, I can make a six-letter word, using three players and two dummies, or I can make a seven letter word using a wild card, et cetera. And they decide who wants to go. And you don't say the word, you put little number chips, one to 
however many letters out. So this is the first letter, this is the second one, this is the third. So everyone is working with different amounts of information. And if you can figure out what your letter is, you put it down and pick up the next. Uh, and the goal is to, by the time you run out of rounds, mm. to have everybody know, you don't have to know the word you're spelling, but you need to put the cards in front of you in the order that will make a word. <laughs> um, some of the more inventive words that got thrown out during the game, I think were like, kebabs and people got really confused if kebabs had an e or an a or if it was a b an if it was an a or an o um someone spelled the word ribbits but one person didn't know that there were two b's in it <laughs> because they had the b and they just sat there staring for like 10 minutes so it's it's really fun because it's trying to balance um i, I like hidden information games and i love a cooperative game um especially ones that everyone has to participate or there's a penalty. So um, I could definitely see this um, probably not after two beers, but maybe after one being a very popular game at game night. It comes out in Gen Con in August. We were kind of playtesting. That's awesome. What's the, what's the, um, the board game convention called again? It's called Origins, yearly in Columbus. Well, that's really cool. Um, I'll keep an eye out for that. Hopefully we can uh, check it out once it's actually printed and available. Um, Nate, what's making you happy this week? Yeah, so we've mentioned it a couple times, um, but in two ways, I have been flung back into the world of Hyrule this last oh, week. Oh, man. I've been very, very excited about it. So first of all, Cadence of Hyrule, uh, a, a combination I never knew I needed, but I have it now, and it's fantastic. And uh, also... For Father's Day, Molly got me um, Breath of the Wild. Now, we had it. We got it when it came out, like, launch day. But at that point, I didn't have a Switch, so we played it on Wii U and, like, obsessed over it just like everyone else did. If you go back and listen to an episode of the short game during that time, every episode was oh, like, man. yeah, this cool short game we're playing, it's it's worthwhile, it's worth your time, da 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 Can we talk about Breath of the Wild, right? Um, <laughs> and and uh, so... It's been since then that I'd played it and I had not played it on the Switch. And I'd always talked about wanting to play it again on the hard mode or master mode. As oh, yeah. Mode, um, that they released as a DLC. So Molly got it for me and I've been playing that. Uh, and it's, it's don't worry, guys. Still a great game. Turns out <laughs> Breath of the Wild, still fun. And it's been just enough distance where I'm remembering some things like big picture locations of important shrines and things like that where. It's like actually helpful to know it and not have to look all over the world for it, but not enough where I'm going into it every single shrine and being like, oh, I know how to do this, right? Uh, and, and master mode is challenging, um, but it's been fun. So what's specifically different about master mode? Yeah, it's so um, if you're familiar with the like the leveling system of the, of the bad guy, you know, the bad guys in the game, the monsters, everything is starts the game up a level. And then they also have a regeneration factor to them so if you remember like a lot of the strategy at least what i would employ was like you end up kiting like a huge swarm of like bacoblins or whatever and you're just like chipping away until one dies and another dies and another dies well they regenerate now um so you kind of gotta go you either you either gotta go in hard and fast and like get the kill or you have to avoid them entirely so uh Mm. like i never like breath of the wild was challenging in 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 some ways but in a lot of ways especially after that initial sort of get over the hump get your weapons and sort of understand the game it generally became pretty easy right it was more about exploration and things like that 
on master mode, you're actually, it's more, and I'm, I'm barely into it, but my early experiences are like, I have to avoid combat more than I initiate it. And that's actually made it more interesting. Huh? So it's been a little more tedious at times because like, there's like a single Bacoblin that's in front of the temple of time at the beginning of the game. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy. And it killed me like four times before I was like, okay, <laughs> all right, all right. I need to not fight it. I have to <laughs> I have to sneak around it, get to the chest and get away, you know. So it turns the game a little bit more stealthy. Um, I don't know. It makes the stakes a lot higher. It also makes it a little it feels a little like like from a storytelling standpoint, it feels like it makes a little more sense. Like you enter into the world and it like everything will kill you. Until yeah. you until you start to actually get some better weapons, get some more hearts and whatnot. Um, so I don't know. I'll, I might be back like a month from now and be like, okay, it's just stupid, annoying, hard. You know, it's not <laughs> worth it. But early, the the like stealth element was something that you never had to bother with uh, in the in the normal game, and I've been enjoying that. So it makes food and like, oh, it's actually worthwhile to eat like a defensive, uh, like a defense plus food before you go into a fight with a a camp. Because otherwise, ever it's your one hit kill, you know. So that's been the biggest difference so far that I've noticed is the monsters are harder. There's also more monsters. Mm. They have these like camps where they're on uh, like balloon platforms all over the place, which they will uh, their their range of vision is increased, so they see you from a lot further away, and they just like mm. go up in the air and start firing elemental arrows at you, which is terrifying. But also, it's very satisfying because all you have to do is shoot out one or two of the balloons and the whole thing falls over and they fall in and die. Uh, but it just adds like, they're just kind of all over the place. So you're constantly having to deal with like being shot at. So it's been fun um, between that and cadence of Hyrule, which is a very, very different uh, and, you know, also very satisfying experience. I've been playing uh, a lot of Zelda related stuff this past week and it's, that's, that's always awesome. going to make me happy. Yeah. I, I'm so excited about the sequel. I mean, it's just been oh, teased, right. but like, yep, that was a good teaser, guys. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, oh yeah. for sure. Yeah. It'd be like it, another two years before that's out. Oh, right. That's oh, all right. Probably. Just to know. I, that, that's just fine. To know that I mean, existing. we've got we've got a lot of Zelda. If you want to play Zelda, like we just got Cadence of Hyrule and we've got the uh, the remake of. Um, oh, geez. What's the, the Link's Game Boy Awakening. Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening. Coming Thank you. Very soon. Yeah. So like we're not there's no shortage of Zelda right now. And. So, you know, it, 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 it give you something to do while you're waiting for that sequel to eventually come out someday. That's very exciting. Well, yeah. Thank you guys so much for uh, for uh, joining me for this episode of the short game. Uh, thank you specifically, Eli, for for coming on and and uh, and sharing with us about Game Club. I mean, I'm yeah, really, really excited about what you guys are doing. And I'm just I, I, I can't wait to see, you know, what other games you guys arrange to to bring out and you know and i'm, I'm really looking forward to to seeing you launch as a uh, like an actual subscription because it's exactly the kind of business model i've been hoping for for this kind of thing so just really really exciting thank you so much for for coming on the show yeah thanks for having me really appreciate it um do you have any i mean obviously game club is the thing you probably want to plug do you have anything you want to tell people to how, how do you want people to find you find game club and anything else you want to point them towards uh, just gameclub.io is the place to go. We're also Game Club on Twitter. You can join the Game Club Discord at discord.gg forward slash Game Club. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Hodap, my last name, H O D A P P. 
Or you can probably just type my name into Google and find all sorts of horrible things about me as well as my Twitter. So, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and of course, listeners, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find a contact form. That's a great way to let us know what short games you have played or are interested in that are upcoming. We always uh, love to hear from our listeners about that sort of thing because it helps us plan the show. Um, of course, you can also reach us on uh, e- by email, info at theshortgame.net, on Twitter at underscore shortgame. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R A Y G A N K. Um, Shane, where can people find you? Also on Twitter at 8 Bit Shane. Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter, Nate at Nate STL. And Laura, where can people find you? At Laura J. Nash. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.